0: Be sure to follow us on Instagram, at criminalafpod, or click on the link in the episode description. On March 16, 1964, Catherine Genovese, known by all as Kitty, was stabbed, raped, and robbed outside her Queens, New York apartment building by a man named Winston Mosley. What's more terrifying than the tragedy itself is that her screams for help reportedly went ignored and allowed Mosley to return and continue the assault in a span of 35 minutes before police and paramedics were notified. This alleged delay resulted in her death and spawned a psychological term, the Genovese Syndrome. But this is only part of the story. I'm Dave Jari. I'm Garrett Quarter. And this is Criminal As Fuck. What's good, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Criminal AF. Once again, I am Dave Jari.
1: I'm Garrett Quarter.
0: How's it going, Garrett? Good, buddy. I'm
1: glad to be back with you. Welcome back, everybody, to the number one true crime podcast
0: <laughs> in the world. In the world, baby. All right, All right so we have a new patron uh, joining our criminal family. Un- beautiful. Another one. So a shout out to J.D. Driscoll. J.D. Driscoll. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. You are amazing thank you so much we also have a shout out to uh to give to Lucy out in Yas Vegas as they call it out in yes, Yass Vegas. uh she's becoming our official recruiter out there in New South Wales hey we, we got Australia. the Australian fans uh, hey, you know but yeah thank you so much Lucy I mean what you're doing out there and spreading the word about Criminal AF hey thank you very much now just a reminder for everybody just joining us for the first time mm. That this is a true crime podcast. And there will be talk of murder, rape, torture, arson, and pretty much any crime that would haunt you nightmares at any given moment. There will be detailed descriptions of said events. And there will be vulgar language. Like, like- shit stain. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say fuck!
1: You threw me off! <laughs> <laughs> shit stain really yeah, I mean
0: what not hey okay I mean we are talking about some shit stains on this show oh, so yeah. so we understand that criminal AF is not for everyone but we ask that you at least give it a listen <laughs> and if it's not for you that's bollocks
1: oh shout out to the Australian friends yes
0: what a great word by the way bollocks, bollocks. yeah bollocks but if it is welcome to the debauchery well Dave
1: yes. What better way to start the night, mm-hmm. with a Florida man of the day?
0: Yes, sir. Ding 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 ding! On our way to Florida. Is that how you play the banjo, or is it? I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? So we'll good. <laughs> we need to watch Deliverance.
1: <laughs> We're, we're going down South Beach. Woo! Okay, South Beach. It, it sounds right. It sounds fancy, right? It sounds like some yeah. kind of club drama. Hell yeah! No, 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 no. Uh oh. An armless Florida man was arrested. <laughs> An armless Florida man was arrested Tuesday after he allegedly stabbed a tourist.
0: Wait! 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 <laughs> What? Wait, say I, that again I read that right. Say it An again.
1: An armless Florida man uh-huh. was arrested Tuesday after he allegedly stabbed a tourist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I gotta hear this one Jonathan Crenshaw is a homeless street artist In Miami, Florida Who frequently painted on canvases Near tourist attractions And in and around South Beach According to the Miami Herald Crenshaw, 46, uses his feet To paint and allegedly use his feet again To stab a tourist Oh my god See, Get you over here. <laughs> come here! No, you know you, If he can paint a masterpiece With his toes Oh,
0: he's probably got that kung probably, fu yeah, yeah, he's
1: probably like doing yeah. right House kicks to the face with <laughs> it's like Edward's scissor hands, but with his feet. The,
0: by the way, we're gonna include
1: his uh mugshot in this because oh, he man. looks like a character. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Miami Beach police alleged the artist clutched a pair of scissors in his feet and stabbed the visitor twice.
0: Oh, he got too quick and he's like, Wah, bah,
1: bah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> however, he has got plenty of time to practice. So. <laughs> no dude that guy
1: is he's probably a menace oh, yeah. a menace with those scissors <laughs> however Crenshaw claimed he was acting in self defense telling police he was lying down and, and Cesar Cornardo, 22 who was visiting from Chicago punched him in the head. Cornardo's friends Cindy Barintos told police this was not the case but rather he uh, her friend was simply asking Crenshaw for directions when the street artist jumped up and allegedly stabbed him. Cornardo
0: suffered wounds to his left arm I wonder in- if he did do it like a roundhouse he had to have. Like, just like, phew, flinging around. Yeah. He was probably, probably sleeping. The
1: re- <laughs> imagine trying to, like, imagine, right? You're yeah. just, you're walking down the, the streets of South yeah, Beach. Yeah. You're on vacation. Yeah. You're like, oh, where is, where's, uh, live, where's the LIV nightclub? And you walk up and you're like, hey, man. And this guy just... Boom. Just, <laughs> just <laughs> jumps up. You think he's sleeping, yeah. and he just jumps up and
0: just. Well, <laughs> 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 you got you got to wake him up slowly. There, I mean, yeah, you can't can just walk up. Yeah, on him Yeah, it is
1: Miami. Yeah. Uh, Crenshaw was charged with aggravated battery with a deadly weapon, according to Miami News Times. Uh, Crenshaw is in custody at the Turner Guilford Night Correction Center with a seven thousand five hundred bo- uh, bond, and his court date is scheduled for July eighteenth. <laughs> His court-appointed attorney, David, said he did not immediately respond to people's request for comments. And uh, according to this article, he also has had frequent run-ins with the police, including police battery, assault. Well, he can't have throw-ins. <laughs> like, like, this guy has a r- rap sheet, like, everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. We will uh, definitely include his mugshot, because this is <laughs> fantastic.
0: Well, well, that's a good way to start this one off. But this episode, we are talking about Kitty Genovese. And if you're not familiar with the case, uh, you're about to be, because... It's a good one. It's a good one. And this one is kind of fucked up. But we're going to start off with Chapter 1, and here we go. In the early hours of March 13th, 1964... Catherine Susan Genovese, known as Kitty, a 28-year-old bartender, was raped and stabbed outside the apartment building where she lived in the Kew Gardens neighborhood of Queens in New York City, New York. Kitty was born in Brooklyn, New York on July 7, 1935 to parents Vincent and Rachel Genovese. The oldest of five children, Kitty was a graduate of Prospect Heights High School and remembered as a very good student, self-assured beyond her years and a sunny disposition, voted the equivalent of class clown in her senior year. Following her graduation in 1953, Kitty's mother witnessed a murder on the streets, which motivated the family to move to New Canaan, Connecticut. Kitty, however, remained in New York City. She was an adult and engaged to be married. The marriage lasted less than a year and was annulled. Kitty began working as a secretary at an insurance company, which she found to be mundane. By the 1950s, she had accepted a position as a bartender. In August of 1961, she was briefly arrested for bookmaking as she had been taking bets on horse races from bar patrons. She was fined $50 and she lost her job. Kitty then started working nights at Ebb's 11th hour a bar in the Hollis neighborhood of Queens, first as a bartender, then moved up to manager, prompting her to move to Queens. In 1963, Kitty met her girlfriend, Marianne Zalonko, in a Greenwich Village nightclub. The two found a second-floor apartment together in Kew Gardens, considered a peaceful, safe area to live. At approximately 2.30 a.m. on March 13, 1964, Kitty left the bar where she worked and began driving home in a red Fiat. While waiting for a traffic light to change on Hoover Avenue, she was spotted by a man who was sitting in his parked Chevrolet Corvair. Kitty arrived home around 3.15 a.m. and parked her car in a Kew Gardens Long Island Railroad Station parking lot about 100 feet or 30 meters from her apartment's door in an alleyway at the rear of the building. As she walked towards the apartment complex, the man, who had followed her home, exited his vehicle, which he parked at a corner bus stop on Austin Street. Armed with a hunting knife, he approached Kitty. Genevieve ran to the front of the building, and the man ran after her, overtook her, and stabbed her twice in the back, just meters short of a police call box. It was reported that Genevieve screamed, Oh my God, he stabbed me, help me. Several neighbors heard her screams, but only a few of them recognized the sound as a cry for help. Robert Moser, one of Kitty's neighbors, shouted at the attacker, Let that girl alone. The man ran away, and Kitty slowly made her way towards the rear entrance of the building, seriously injured and out of view of her neighbors. Witnesses saw the man enter his car, drive away, and returned 10 minutes later when he noticed that no one came to her aid. Shadowing his face with a wide-brimmed hat, he systematically searched the parking lot, the train station, and an apartment complex, eventually finding Kitty, who was barely conscious and lying in a hallway at the back of the building, where a locked door had prevented her from going inside. Out of view of the street and of those who may have heard or seen any sign of the initial attack, the man stabbed Genevieve 17 more times, several blows striking her neck to silence her screams before raping her, stealing $49, and running away. The two attacks spanned approximately 35 minutes, and knife wounds in Kitty's hands suggested that she attempted to defend herself. A neighbor and close friend, Sophia Farrer, found Kitty shortly after the second attack and held her in her arms until an ambulance arrived. Genevieve's girlfriend, Marianne Zilanco, was questioned by detectives at 7 a.m. on the morning after the murder. She was later interrogated for six hours by two other homicide detectives, whose questions centered on her relationship with Kitty. This was also the police's focus when they questioned the couple's neighbors. Zilanko was considered a prime suspect. So after the murder, Kitty's girlfriend, uh, Marianne Zilanko, Uh, was questioned by the police about their relationship. What that has to do with the murder? Who knows? But... (laughs) Look at the time. Yeah. Well, they asked about their past affairs, their sex life, uh, the sexual positions that they do. (laughs) Like I said, what does this have to do with her murder? But anyways, it was...
1: Imagine her sitting in that, that room. Yeah.
0: Like, what? Yeah. So she's in there getting peppered with all these questions for like six hours. And now we're talking about the 1960s. Yeah. So it's widely misconceived that homosexuals were more prone to romantic jealousy oh, yeah. than heterosexuals.
1: Lesbians are the dark arts. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. They're looking at this. This is a witch in front of us. Yep. Jesus Christ. <laughs> dude. Sage in the... the yeah, sage, yeah, Fucking, dude, we were like barbaric.
0: I know. Like not that long ago. No. No. There was a witness to the murder, his name was Carl Ross, and he was friends with both Kitty and Marianne, and when he was questioned, uh, he told the police that he didn't want to get involved. That's crazy. When he heard the screaming in his building's foyer, he hesitated to do anything at all, and he eventually opened a door and saw Kitty getting assaulted. Then he promptly turned away, closed his door, and called a friend, who discouraged him from getting involved
1: that that's wild and
0: that, that's an, the the craziest part about this first chapter is is
1: you can't tell me more people didn't hear what was going on right it's a it's a small like a small building there are multiple mm-hmm. you know apartments in it like how, how did one person hear that? right A woman was getting raped and stabbed in the building front entrance. ah oh, right man.
0: so he ended up calling a neighbor. The neighbor told Ross to contact the police and that he could use her phone. So rather than going out his door, he climbed out his window, crawled across the roof to her apartment where he finally dialed for police. It's fishy. Now, when this came out to be public, Carl Ross was made out to be a coward. Okay? But there's evidence that suggests that he didn't want to get involved because he too was gay. And given the prejudice at the time, Mm. he knew that he would be scrutinized with the same ridiculous questions that Marianne was. The messed up thing about that era is that it was expected during that time that if you saw a man and a woman having an altercation, you didn't involve yourself. You just looked the other way. Yeah. Women. Like at that time, that was a matter to be resolved between the man and the woman themselves. Yeah. Like you didn't get yourself involved. Oh, in your
1: that. wife's getting a little moody
0: there. Yeah. yeah. Charlie, you better take care of her. Yeah. <laughs> you better bring her to the psych ward and give her yeah. some electric shock therapy.
1: Yeah. So. Just give her some of those pills that she has in her nightstand. She'll <laughs> <Yeah>. be fine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's all your fault, the Bill. The ones that make her sleepy, you know. Yeah. It's all your fault, Bill. You, you don't discipline her enough.
1: Oh, I know. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the water cooler talk with, yep. the, with the short white sleeve, black yep. tie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pocket protector.
0: Yeah.
1: God, that kitty,
0: man. She. Yeah. Like, thinking about things now to, yeah. like, back then is just, like, ridiculous. I, I can't even believe, like you said, it's barbaric. Like, it's, I can't believe yeah. we actually lived in an era where... Like, all these perceptions were, like, co- like a common thing. You know what I mean? Yep. But, anyway, so we'll jump into Chapter 2, and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, Mosley. On March 19th, 1964, six days after the stabbing, a man by the name of Winston Mosley was arrested for suspected robbery in Ozone Park after a television set was discovered in the trunk of his car. Mosley's car was searched after a local man, Raul Cleary, became suspicious when he saw Mosley removing the television from a neighbor's house. Cleary questioned Mosley, who stated that he was helping the people move. However, after consulting another neighbor, Jack Brown, who confirmed that the homeowners were not moving, Cleary called the police and the men disabled Mosley's car to ensure that he could not get away before police arrived. A detective recalled that a white car similar to Mosley's had been reported by some of the witnesses of Kitty's murder. Mosley casually fled the scene and was picked up a few blocks away. Winston Mosley was 29 years old at the time he murdered Kitty Genovese. He was from Ozone Park, Queens and worked at Remington Rand as a tab operator, preparing the punch cards used at the time mainly for data input for digital computers. Mosley was married with three children and had no criminal record. While in custody, Mosley confessed to killing Kitty. He detailed the attack, corroborating the physical evidence at the scene. He said that his motive for the attack was simply to kill a woman, saying he preferred to kill women because they were easier and didn't fight back. He stated that he got up that night around 2 a.m. while his wife was working nights as a registered nurse and drove through Queens to find a victim. Mosley saw Kitty on her way home and followed her to the parking lot before killing her. He also confessed to committing between 30 and 40 robberies, as well as sexually assaulting and murdering two other women. In July of 1963, Mosley raped and murdered 15 year old Barbara Kralik in her parents' Springfield Gardens home. In 12 days before Kitty's murder, he killed 24 year old Annie Mae Johnson, who lived in South Ozone Park. Mosley murdered Annie Mae and raped her dead body then he set fire to her remains to go along with the prejudice of the 60s Annie Mae Johnson's murder didn't receive much publicity at all what I think is because she was African American and there really isn't much known about her like I I dug through a few things I couldn't really find much Yeah. Um, one thing that stands out is that her murder was initially ruled by the coroner as a stabbing, presumably with an ice pick. Um, After her death, she was buried in South Carolina, and up until the capture of Mosley, like 15, 16 days later, everyone believed that that that's how she was murdered, by being stabbed. After Mosley confessed to killing Annie Mae, he said that he shot her. There was a little bit of discrepancy, sort of like, well, you know, was she stabbed? Did he, did he shoot her? So her body was exhumed, and there was another autopsy performed. There were twenty-two caliber bullets seen in her body under an x-ray. Now, call it inexperienced by the original coroner, or call it at face value for what it is, Yeah, um, he probably didn't care that much to rule it what it was because she was black. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. And after that, an inquiry was was started, and all homicide-related autopsies were moved to the chief medical examiner's office. After that, yeah, he definitely
1: definitely messed up big time there. Yeah, it sucks too because the the family of Annie Mae, too they they didn't get the right you know you know yeah. cause of death, what happened, the true story about right. their daughter.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it's sad. I I just keep going back to like what a fucked up time in our country. Yeah, Jesus also like i'm always intrigued by killers
1: that have very close loved ones wives you know family family friends like they live with somebody or something like that too is like did his wife know he had an aggressive behavior like no you know these people by you, you know everything they do like
0: right I, yeah from from all the things that i've seen he was well liked you know he went to work every single day he was a good worker never had any issues with the police it's just, he had this thing in his head. Yeah, he had the him, urge. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like BTK, too. You know, BTK He's yeah. married for, God knows how, 30-something years. And his wife was like, huh? What? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so we'll get into the, the case against Mosley in Chapter 3. Winston Mosley was charged with the murder of Kitty Genovese, but was not charged with the rapes and murders of Annie Mae Johnson or Barbara Karellick as a man named Alvin Mitchell had already confessed to her murder. Mosley's trial began in June of 1964. He initially pleaded not guilty, but his attorney later changed his plea to not guilty by reason of insanity. During his testimony, Mosley described the events on the night he murdered Kitty, along with the two other murders to which he had confessed, and numerous other robberies and rapes the jury deliberated for seven hours before returning a guilty verdict on June 11th. On June 15th, Mosley was sentenced to death for the murder of Genovese. When the jury foreman read the sentence, Mosley showed no emotion, while some spectators applauded and cheered. The presiding judge added, I don't believe in capital punishment, but when I see a monster like this, I wouldn't hesitate to pull the switch myself. On June 1, 1967, the New York Court of Appeals found that Mosley should have been able to argue that he was medically insane at the sentencing hearing when the trial court found that he had been legally sane, and the sentence was reduced to life imprisonment. In March of 1968, Mosley stuck a tin of spam into his rectum, hoping that the injuries would force him to be transferred from his cell in Attica Prison to a hospital. Mosley was transported for surgery, and on the way back from the hospital, he took the correctional officer's gun, escaped from the transport van, and broke into an empty house in Buffalo, New York, owned by Mr. and Mrs. Matthew Kalaga. After three days of watching TV and eating canned food, he called a local employment office and asked them to send a maid. When she arrived, he threatened her with a gun. He then raped her, warning her that if she told anyone he would find and kill her children. On March 21st, the Kalugas went to check on the house, where they encountered Mosley, who held them hostage for more than an hour, finding and gagging Matthew and raping Mrs. Kalaga. He then took the couple's car and fled. Mosley traveled to Grand Island, where he broke into another house, and held a woman and her daughter hostage for two hours before releasing them unharmed. He surrendered to police shortly afterward and was charged with escape and kidnapping, to which he pleaded guilty. Mosley was given two additional 15-year sentences to run concurrently with his life sentence. In September of 1971, Mosley participated in the Attica prison riot. He became eligible for parole in 1984. During his first parole hearing, he told the parole board that the notoriety he faced due to his crimes made him a victim, stating, For a victim outside, it's a one-time or one-hour or one-minute affair. But for the person who's caught, it's forever. At the same hearing, Mosley claimed he never intended to kill Genevieve, and that he considered her murder to be a mugging because people do kill people when they mug them sometimes. The board denied his request for parole. Subsequent psychiatric examinations suggested that Mosley was a necrophile. Winston Mosley died in prison in March of 2016 at the age of 81. Can we talk about shoving a can of Spam up your ass? (laughs) You went right into it.
1: That's pretty girthy, dude. That's, I know that's got
0: some girth to it. Like, what are you gonna do? Like, for people that don't know what spam is from like other countries or whatever, that's, like that's like this. Spam is pro- processed meat in a can. In a can. I, I mean, I like it. I,
1: I I haven't had spam in years.
0: I used to. We used to have fried spam years. all the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, but anyway, so the can is probably four inches <laughs> by two inches. And what? Another three inches tall? At least three inches. Tall. Yeah, I
1: think it's more.
0: Yeah, it's it's. And that's the small can. There's a bigger one. I know. You might have took down the bigger one. Well, imagine sitting in your jail cell, like like how do you do it? Do you like use your hand to shove it in? Do you set it on a on the floor and oh you got to You got to back into that one. Yeah, you
1: gotta, you gotta you gotta prep that one. You can't just. <laughs> what do you use for lube? Jail sounds wild, dude. I know. What do you, what do you use for lube? I mean, the real question was, he prepping. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Did, yeah. did, did, did you stretch uh, it out a little you know, bit before did, he... Was he... He was worried. He was like, shit, man, this this guy's got a hog. You know? <laughs> Let me grab the spam can real quick. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh my it's God. better than a good old thumb, right? I know. Oh, God. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> what if he had anal protrusion when he, when he took it out? Oh, the pink sleeve. Not <laughs> 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 Okay, Howie. <laughs> did you hear about that? No. Howie Mandel? He put-
1: oh, I did hear about that. Yeah. I, it was a
0: t- he put it on TikTok, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A bit, Every- a of a pink sock? <laughs>
1: yes. Everybody was freaking out. They're like, what the I'm hell? Like, what the
0: fuck? All right, anyway, all right, back to the show. All right. Okay. I couldn't find where it said why Mosley was charged in Annie Mae Johnson's death. But in the case of Barbara Kralick, another man, Alvin Mitchell, had previously confessed to her murder. Now, whether it was coerced or not, I don't know, but on June 23rd, 1964, Mosley appeared as a defense witness in the trial of Mitchell for the murder of Barbara Kralik. After being granted immunity from prosecution, Mosley testified that he himself had killed Kralik. Now, in that trial, the jury came back a hung, hung jury, but Alvin Mitchell was brought back, was charged again, had a second trial, and he was convicted. So I don't know how you can convict somebody when somebody basically gives you every single detail of how a person was murdered, yeah, and yeah. admits to murdering, murdering them, takes full credit freely, but you sentence another person for, for the, murder? the same murder. Right. Yeah, you know wild. I mean? So basically, they were like, "Oh, we can get two guys off the street." Yeah. So let's get two of these whack jobs out. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And on top of that, too, is the the judge saying. Oh, you know, I would pull the I'd pull the plug myself. Yeah. That's a mistrial in today's right. You know, in, in today's world. Yeah. That would they would have stopped the entire trial right there and the guy would have walked free. Yeah. You can't just say that. Right. Crazy. Becoming eligible for parole in nineteen eighty four. Even right. get, even getting eligible for parole at that point. Ooh. Um I know his sentence was different. He had the he you know, he had the option. But uh for them to deny his parole because he was a necrophile, is it seems like a cop-out. Like, deny yeah. it because he's a killer, not yeah. because he fantasizes about dead bodies. Right. Like, what What do you guys... What?
0: <laughs> what other reason? What new reason can we come up with for yeah. divide, <laughs> denying it It's, from... it's, sh- it's paperwork. It's yeah. all it is. Died
1: in prison in 2016. Age 81. Could you imagine spending that much time
0: in prison and dying in prison? No. I guess at the Ooh. time, he was, like, the, the longest tenured criminal in prison. You think he was in gen pop by that time? But he was eighty one. By the
1: time he's right? Like when when uh, do you think they let you know I mean he's he's still a very violent offender. Yeah. When when do what, they what, just what say do they call what
0: do they call nowadays, old heads? Dude, they
1: they should call him the spam king, dude. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably he's probably over there the old old timer holding two pockets, just walking down the yard. <laughs>
0: I wonder if Spam was removed from the commissary after that. <laughs> we ain't doing this again. <laughs> yeah, but... Yeah, there,
1: there's got to be a, a point where you're like, all right, just throw this guy... You know, he's... Yeah. You know, he's 81. He he, he definitely did his time, that's for sure. Right. You know, we have to talk about the escape from prison. Yeah. That, as much as we joked about the Spam, guy's a mastermind, yeah. right? You know, that That was a genius idea. And then take the officer's gun get out hide out you know call a maid over to to clean the house it it's it's something uh, out of that's out of a movie
0: now the, the fucked up thing about this whole thing is that after mosley was captured and brought back to prison they actually charged the maid with failure to report her rape the
1: worst moment of her life and ever will be mm-hmm. and they charge her for that because yep. she didn't come
0: forward uh, That's horrible. I could probably assume why. A lot of sixty, a, a lot of race-related, uh, you know, things in this uh, yeah. this story. So yeah, so we'll go into the creation of the Genovese syndrome in the next chapter. Initially, the murder of Kitty Genovese was a two-paragraph blurb buried in the middle of the New York Times. Ten days after her murder, the chief of police had lunch with the editor of the Times, and they talked about the lack of witness intervention. The editor sent a reporter to question the neighbors. A subsequent article came out stating that 38 witnesses watched the rape and murder occur and didn't do a thing to stop it. Based on this article, numerous psychologists studied the case, and the term, the Genovese Syndrome, or the bystander effect, was developed. This diagnosis was in all major psychiatry textbooks for the next 40 years. However, in 2014, an inquiry into the accuracy of the original article found that not all of the 38 recognized, understood the severity, or saw the entire sequence events of Kitty's assault. A few of them did attempt to call the police, but couldn't get through. There were at least two people who did get through, but didn't see the initial stabbing, so the assault was downplayed as a domestic disturbance, a low-priority call at the time. Only one witness, Joseph Fink, was aware Genefese was stabbed in the first attack, and only Carl Ross was aware of it in the second attack. Many were entirely unaware that an assault or homicide had taken place, Some thought what they saw or heard was a domestic quarrel, a drunken brawl, or a group of friends leaving the bar when Mosley first approached Genovese. Also, after the initial attack punctured Kitty's lungs, leading to her eventual death from asphyxiation, it is unlikely that Genovese was able to scream at any volume. By the time an accurate description of the assault was given to police, it was too late. Kitty died on the way to the hospital. According to a New York Times article dated December 28, 1974, 10 years after Genovese's murder, 25-year-old Sandra Zoller was beaten to death early Christmas morning in an apartment that overlooked the site of the Genovese attack. Neighbors again said they heard screams and fierce struggles, but did nothing. Although the Genovese syndrome was born of an erroneous news article, it does carry some weight. You still see it today. People generally mind their own business or think that someone else will call for help. Others grab their cell phones and record a violent attack. It's up for debate whether they think someone else will call or if it's for their own social media cred. If there is one good thing that came out of this, it would be the centralized emergency number, or as we know it in the US, 911. At the time of Kitty's murder, people would have to call the police station's phone number. 4 years after Kitty's murder, 911 was put into effect. So I want to talk a little bit more about how the Genevieve syndrome affects us today. Like can you come up with any ways of how this applies to us? I mean the entire world star world star
1: culture yeah. in general, you know. I'd like to say though if in today's world, and I've seen it multiple times in videos and, and, you know, internet clips and viral videos, if a woman's being assaulted, on, I've seen it on subways, the street, a lot of guys step in mm-hmm. and, you know, take it personal. I'd like to say that we've changed in that way where you see some the underdog being attacked. Yeah. But if two two grown men are throwing down the street, a lot of people just pull their phones
0: out and just... yeah let it happen. Right. Now, I saw one where an estranged husband was stabbing his estranged wife on a sidewalk, just, like, going to town on her. And there's video recording of this. Like, somebody pulled out their phone to fucking record this woman being stabbed. Like, she's crying out, help me, help Uh, me, help help. me. And nobody fucking does a thing. There's cars driving by. What would you do in that situation? Well, you know,
1: both of us... Have concealed carry permits. We carry firearms with us most of the time. That guy wouldn't wouldn't have been alive to right. stab that woman yeah. if I was there. You know,
0: following the rules of the state, right to a T. Stop, stop stabbing. But you're gonna get shot. Yeah. And he continues to stab. Yeah.
1: Does the person is the person recording because they 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 don't want to get they don't want to be stabbed or attacked or are they are they afraid? So the best thing they can do is try to record the situation. That wouldn't be me. I would even if I didn't have my, you know, firearm on me. I would still intervene
0: somehow, somehow to well, stop. Obviously, because he's preoccupied stabbing a, a yeah, woman. Yeah yeah, 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 He's not going to know that you're going to be coming up to fucking the sucker punch right. the the, body yeah. slam him into the fucking wall or some yeah. shit. You know what I mean?
1: But I, I you know, it, it, I guess at least at least
0: distract him away from what he's doing. You know,
1: it depends on the person you are at that point and who's yeah. around. A group of people is completely different because a group of people can easily, oh, you know, you you see it with active shooting situations and all well, that stuff too. Is a lot
0: of these uh, psychologists now who discuss this, uh, the Genevieve syndrome, say that it's more likely for people to ignore uh, a crime in progress if there are more people around.
1: Yeah, because there, are, I could see that because they're you're looking at the other person. Like, are you gonna? Are you gonna yeah. do? It? Are
0: you gonna do it? Right. You know. Or like I, I don't I don't need to do anything. Somebody else will take care. Of it.
1: Somebody else will. It, it also goes to the sev- like how severe the crime is too. Mm-hmm. If I was in a gas station, you know, I was concealed carrying at that point, and somebody was robbing a gas station at gun- even at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. He's not actively looking like he's gonna you know shoot the store clerk. He's just asking for money. You you don't get in a firefight in the middle of Sun- Sunoco You mm-hmm. you let him. T- you're not gonna go. You're not gonna do that for the three hundred dollars that's in the, no. the cash register. Let him take it and go. So, armed robbery? Sh- no. Mm-hmm. It, if somebody's stabbing somebody, I would hope. I would hope that somebody's there to right. at least,
0: you know. If an assault is in progress where it is causing uh, severe bodily harm that could lead to death. Yes, one hundred percent. You have every right. You have every right to intervene and yeah. stop the threat. Right. Not everybody
1: has that mindset, too. Yeah. So. Yeah, it, it's definitely prevalent in today's society because we are very. Let's pull out. We live through our phones. It's our first reaction. If A lot some, of people. In, in, if something crazy is happening, the first reaction most people do is pull out their phone, and record it, instead of intervening. That's like the last
0: thing I do, dude. I forget. I'm like, yeah. I am like the worst you know, at like listen. taking videos and pictures. I forget that I even that my phone even has that capability. Do you know how many <laughs> amazing videos I could have taken in my life? Yeah. Amazing
1: yeah. viral moments that I have, like that, right. that, just wild things that happen to me on a daily basis. Going yeah. out, hanging out, drinking with my friends, whatever. <laughs> and I, ju- I, that's not my first reaction right. to grab to grab a yeah. phone.
0: I, I don't know. I live in the moment too much, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I don't even like if I see something happening, even if it's like one of my sons running a ninety yard touchdown. I'm like, yeah, go! Yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, oh shit, I should have recorded.
1: <laughs> yeah, but then yeah. again, you know, you're you're living in the moment, yeah. so
0: it's it's better to it's better be there.
1: Yeah. You know, I totally agree with the story by saying at least one good thing came out of this
0: was mm-hmm. you know 911 being established.
1: Call, police call boxes. Yeah. You know, that's
0: that's like they have a college campus. Yeah. You know, direct ring. But so. yeah, I mean, cuz prior to then it's like you had to call the police station directly. Yeah. And you know, you're thinking 1964, 63, whatever. How many people do you think they have on staff to answer phones? Correct. It's just like the guy at the desk. Hello. Yeah. You know? well, hey. He's right. Ha- he's half asleep. Yeah. Working and night shift. And now you're talking about like a, a section of Queens. Like, how many people live in a section of Queens? Oh, hell yeah. You know, If you
1: if a million. If you're, if you're ever in New York, I highly when. Just walk. Just if you see, you know they have those the walking patrols. Yeah. They're unarmed. They're police. They're actual police officers. They're unarmed cops just walking through the city. Just walk behind them and listen to their radio. It is wild. There's like, one little section, yeah. and it's nonstop. Just calls going out twenty four seven. I couldn't imagine in nineteen fifty. You know whatever this time in the sixties.
0: Yeah. it's crazy. You have this whole area where. One guy at 3 o'clock in the morning is probably answering 50 calls a freaking minute. Yeah. You know what I mean? And Please hold. Right.
1: <laughs> Somebody's screaming on the other lane, please, hold on one second, please, then you go to the other call. You got yeah. two
0: phones. Right. So, it, you know, and that goes into the report, you know, that nobody, like, called. Nobody called the police. for There were people that called, and they couldn't get through. And the whole thing about the original Genovese Syndrome, you know, where all these psychologists, like, reported on it, is that not all of them saw the attack from the very first stabbing to the very last. Yeah, There's only one person that actually saw the, the initial two stabs. And he was the guy that, I think he was the guy that was like, hey, leave that girl alone. And, and he rose, you know, ran off. You know, you, you know your local police station number. At, the, actually, at that time, I, I got to Google. Yeah, I got to Google mine. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I'm just saying, at that point, you would know, like, there's no 911. Well, I think,
0: so. I, I think, like, back then, like, they didn't have actual phone numbers. Like, you picked up the operator and they were like, uh, hey, connect me to Whiskey Five, you know? And, she, <laughs> and they're like, she's over here <laughs> plugging <laughs> wires and yeah. shit. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but imagine, right? You, you, I don't know, you don't even know what town you're in. You're driving and you yeah. see some crazy stuff right. and you want to call 911. You're like, hey, uh, operator, can you connect me to the police? All right, what town are you in? Fuck uh, if I uh, know. I don't know. Like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> So that'll do it for Kitty Genovese and the Genovese Syndrome. But before we go, don't forget to become a criminal on Patreon. Visit patreon.com backslash criminal AF. There's five tiers, and you can donate as little as $2 a month to help the podcast. Everyone will receive early release of all of our episodes. Ramirez and above will receive our blooper reels. Kemper and above will receive our Patreon-only monthly bonus episodes of True Crime Fast Facts. Bundy and above will receive a quarterly gift, as well as an exclusive I'm a Criminal on Patreon t-shirt to rep your favorite podcast. Exclusive. Yes, sir. And Zodiac subscribers will receive an executive producer credit for every single episode for the length of their membership as well as a virtual guest spot on a future episode it's gonna be cool come on join us join us for an episode it's gonna be cool so much stuff man links to our patreon paypal socials merchandise and more are in the episode description
1: also guys check us out if you want to watch the video of us you know we, we are very animated we, <laughs> <laughs> we love to laugh if, we're on youtube Go find us on YouTube. Subscribe if you want to watch the video version of these podcasts too.
0: Absolutely. So that'll do it for this episode of Criminal AF. Signing off from Studio Chloroform. <laughs> Keep your head on a swivel and take care until next time. See, See ya. ya.